Welcome to Seven Skills for the Future podcast. My name is Emma Sue Prince, and this podcast is based on the internationally selling book by the same name. This book focuses on seven important skills. They are adaptability, critical thinking, empathy, integrity, being proactive, being optimistic, and being resilient. And this podcast is all about how you can bring these skills into your everyday life so that you are living a life full of happiness, full of purpose, great relationships, doing work that you love, and just really getting the most out of life. Welcome back to Seven Skills for the Future podcast. My name is Emma Sue Prince and I'm joined by my producer James. Hi Emma Sue and hello everyone. So in today's episode we have an interview. Who have you been speaking to this time Emma Sue? Yeah, we have a great interview with uh, Alex Sujan Kim Pang. And uh, Alex is a Silicon Valley futurist and a consultant, and he's the author of two great books. So the first book is Rest, Why You Get More Done When You Work Less, and his latest book, Shorter, How Working Less Will Revolutionise the Way Your Company Gets Things Done. So I was really interested to talk to him because I... I quote from his book, Rest, uh, and Mm. reference his work in several chapters in the book, Seven Skills of the Future book, especially critical thinking and empathy. So I was very lucky to be able to interview him. He was in London to promote his new book. And uh, yeah, he, he works with an amazing array of companies. So from Shakespeare's Globe to Googleplex and with governments and Fortune 500 companies. So I know our listeners will just love this interview. Sounds great. So what can our listeners expect to hear from the interview? Well, you know, there was so much to talk about. We split the interview into two parts. Um, there's so much food for thought and, and actually proof that working less hours and manipulating your working week does actually lead to um, much better balance and better health and great ideas and ultimately happiness. So in this first uh, part, we talk about what he's up to in London and um, how he's promoting his book, Shorter, Um And we talk about the fact that people are working really long hours these days and and they sort of feel they have to work these long hours. So Alex talks about how we can manipulate our working week and our day to to have a shorter, much more productive and focused work. Um, So we talk about the impact of changing to uh, a four day week and what that actually means and some of the practicalities, because he's actually talking about companies completely shutting down for one day a week, but people are still being paid the same. Um, And and so, you know, it's really interesting um, how companies do that. Um, and we also talk about my husband who has started taking Fridays off, but actually really isn't and how <laughs> that's quite okay. a common thing, you know, with, mm. with people saying, yes, I do a four day week, but they don't really. Great. OK, so let's listen to the interview. Yeah, let's go for it.
So I am delighted to welcome Alex Pang to the podcast today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to have you with us in London. Um, So you're here in London. Tell us about your trip and what you're up to. Um, So I have a new book coming out in a couple of weeks about companies that have moved to four-day work weeks without cutting salaries or sacrificing productivity or profitability. So it explains how they do that and sort of why it's a good thing for everybody, for workers, for leaders, for companies, Mm -hmm. and for the world. And so, you know, I'm over here talking about that um, and... Um, you know, enjoying enjoying the London weather and London traffic. So good, great. So I have read Rest, your previous book, um, and why you get more done when you work less, which I love. Um, so could you first of all tell our listeners more about the role of rest and sure. how it can help with our productivity levels? Right. So the book looks at the lives of famous scientists and writers and composers and other or creative types and and looks at the hidden role that um, what I call deliberate rest. So uh, things like you know exercise, you know, going for walks after work, um, serious hobbies, the role that those play in helping us be more creative day to day, but also having longer, more interesting, more creative lives. And what I f- and I started this book because I saw this paradox in, in the kind of lives of really creative people, which is that you know, these, are, uh, these often were people who would organize their entire lives around their work, it seemed. Right? You know, Charles Darwin moved from London to the village of Down so that he could escape <laughs> the distractions of scientific life here. But they didn't spend their whole day working. Instead, what they did was organize their days to so that they had several hours, usually about four or five hours, mm-hmm. of really intensive, highly focused work. And then they also spent almost as much time engaged in what looked like unproductive leisure activities. All right. Darwin actually built a walking path on the edge of his property where he would go and spend as much time per day as he did in the laboratory or in or in his study. And I was intrigued by this because, of course, you know, we've grown up in a world in which we take sort of overwork for granted. You know, not only is it a fact of life, it's almost kind of a badge of honor. And it struck me that this was, you know, I wanted to understand how it was that people like Stephen King or Beethoven or Nobel Prize winners could get so much done while apparently working less than, uh, far less than we do. And what I found was that there's work that's been done in neuroscience and the psychology of creativity that shows that periods of rest not only provide time to recover the mental and physical energy that we spend working, but they also provide a kind of ground for our creative subconscious to Mm -hmm. explore ideas, to turn over unsolved problems, and to often come up with answers. We have a very, you know, this is a process that, you know, we often see in our everyday lives where, 
you know, you're trying to remember the name of the actor who was in that movie and that other thing. And, you know, and, and, uh, and you can't, but two minutes later, while you're doing something else, the name pops mm. into your head. That's the default mode network that part of these parts of the brain that switch on when we're apparently kind of not thinking at all, um, continuing to work on problems without us. And so what these people are doing is sort of designing their days to maximize the amount of time that they have both for really highly productive focused work, but also for this kind of creative mind wandering. And that's, and so that explained how it was that they were able to, you know, sort of get so much done while apparently, while apparently working a lot mm. less than we think is necessary for those kinds of, uh, those kinds of achievements. But, but I mean, we've really lost touch with that kind of way of living mm -hmm. and working. I mean, everybody's just working such long, crazy hours and, you know, it's almost like it's, we feel like. I've got to work more right. to get more done. Right. So I, mean, I think the, you know, first off, there are all kinds of interlocking reasons that we now embrace this kind of cult of overwork, right? And we kind of grow up with it. Um, we have, you know, our models of success are no longer people who, you know, start in the mailroom and work their way up the mm -hmm. company, you know, do their time, pay their dues, and finally reach the top, right? Success now is something that happens when you're young, you know, before your technical skills or become obsolete or the market changes, and which come as a result of a combination of good timing and enormous amounts of labor. Mm -hmm. I think it's also the case that you know, the fact that we can carry our offices around in our pockets, that we can that technologies allow us to be always on and always connected, have translated from this being an option to being essentially a kind of daily requirement. The fact that we can check our email, you know, at the mm -hmm. dinner table creates an imperative to do so. And then I think that you know, for professionals, for people who are at the kind of top of the economic ladder, um, long hours become a way of justifying outsized rewards, while for people who are in far more precarious positions, long hours are simply a necessity to mm -hmm. avoid you know, redundancy or, 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 you know, or to keep your job. And then finally, in a service economy, it's a lot harder to know when to stop. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have a factory bell, you know, that goes off at the end of the day. You don't come in from the fields when the sun goes down. There's always one more thing to be done or a little bit more that you could do to make make your work a little bit better. And so I think all of that together combines to create a world in which overwork becomes normalized and we see it as both the key to success for some of us and unavoidable for everybody else. So how do we begin to change that? Right. So, you know, this is, this is something that, uh, this has been the subject both of, of rest and my latest book. And I think that, so at the individual level, you know, people who have control over their schedules, you know, uh, can do a few things. Mm. And one is I think redesigning their days to maximize the amount of 
sort of focus time that they have, right? I think that you know, we, uh, there are studies that show that in offices, we lose about two hours a day of productive time to multitasking, to meetings, to interruptions. And so if you can eliminate that, then you suddenly go a long way to being able to shorten your workday. Um, I think for people, so, you know, and then, and then layering those periods of intensive work with periods immediately thereafter mm -hmm. of, you know, of active rest is a really good way of both recharging your batteries, but also allowing your creative subconscious to keep working on problems that have eluded your conscious mm -hmm. solution. Practicing that also makes you better at it. We think of, you know, we think of rest and creativity as either natural things or, or as things that are difficult to control, but they're actually both things that we can learn to get better at. Um, it's a bit like when you're a kid and you're learning a language, right? Nobody sits down and teaches you verbs, nouns, vocabulary. You just pick it up. Our brains are really well designed for that kind of thing. And it's true even for, you know, apparently mysterious, elusive things like having moments of insight. For people who are in kinds of jobs where you don't have as much control over your time, what I see are a lot more investment in um, but in detachment in the sort of evenings and weekends, mm -hmm. so trying to stay away from email, having other kinds of hobbies and things that are that provide sort of a break, um, and then also taking vacations really seriously. You know, there are there are studies that have charted the lives of thousands of people over decades, right? These big longitudinal studies that have found that people who take regular vacations are happier at work, they're happier at their lives, they're more productive, they have more successful careers, and they are healthier as they age than people who don't. And so, you know, certainly in America, we have this terrible problem with people not taking vacations. Mm -hmm. You know, we have this sense that this is in some way you know, we're going to fall behind or, you know, we're kind of being disloyal to the company. But over the long run, that's actually essential for maintaining our ability mm. to work, not just this year, but over the course of our lives. I think the other, but, you know, I, th so I think that you know, recognizing the value of rest, recognizing that rest is not like a competitor mm. to work, but when structured properly helps us work better, helps us be more creative, provides time both for recovery and for new insights. That all of these things are important for us to, uh, uh, to learn and to act upon. At the same time, you know, we live in a world that is incredibly good at capturing and commodifying our attention, at you know, uh, requiring us to stay late, um, at make you know and, and making um, increasing demands on us as professionals, as workers, as colleagues, as parents, as spouses, and so I think we need to recognize that there are these big structural things that make it really hard for us to you know, to uh, to find more rest in our lives, and the companies that I look at in shorter are solving this problem by 
actually adopt by both shortening the work week, mm -hmm. but also adopting a bunch of the things that I talk about in rest. You know, one of the one of the most important things that creative agencies and software companies and other kinds of knowledge work enterprises do when shortening their weeks is they kind of redesign the workday to to give people those periods of intensive focused work mm -hmm. where you don't have to talk to colleagues, you don't have to answer the phone or email. You know, it's perfectly okay to to be kind of antisocial mm -hmm. so that you can uh, so that you can get stuff done. And what they find is that when you organize the day that way that companies are perfectly capable of getting done in four days what used to take five or more. And so taking this more mindful, more structured attitude toward their work um, gives them the ability to, you know, close up on Thursday afternoon or close by 2 or 3 p.m. and give people more time for family, more time for rest, more time for other things that make their lives better. So I think that combination of the individual things when mm -hmm. you can act upon them, um, you know, uh, doing, doing what you're able to in when you have a job that, that uh, doesn't allow you to have a lot of control over your time is still a valuable thing. And then seeing if there are ways that you and your friends or colleagues or bosses can you know, implement at work mm -hmm. um, these changes so that one can be more effective in less time um, and, you know, and, and in essence change the structures that keep us from being able to rest. And those are, so, you know, all yeah. of that together yes, um, yes. are things that turn out to be available to us. Yeah, so it's recognising on an individual level and noticing the impact of that mm -hmm. and then structurally and right. an organisation. So do organisations report that they, that, you know, the, 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 the impact mm -hmm. of this and, and, you know, what difference it makes? Yeah, so, you know, I've been looking at companies all over the world here in the UK, Scandinavia, the US, Australia, also Japan and Korea, interestingly, mm -hmm. two countries who both have words for working yourself to death, right? This is enough of a problem so that you have to invent a specific word for it. And so this is a movement that is global. It's one that you see in a variety of industries, ranging from you know, creative services to nursing homes, there's a car dealership in Maryland who's, uh, that's moved to moved four-day weeks. You have hospitals. There's even a, or a couple medical schools in the United States whose curricula now operate on four-day weeks. Mm -hmm. So it's a really wide range of places. So what do they find? Um, they find, first of all, that um, they, can be as pro uh, they can be as productive and four days as in five, that they are just as profitable, if not more so. Clients, interestingly, do not abandon them. This is always a big worry, right? That, yeah, the, 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 you, that you become so accustomed to the idea that you've got to be always responsive when a client calls, mm -hmm. that the idea of you know, not doing that seems like, you know, the earth is going to crash into the sun. It turns out, though, 
for most clients, so long as you continue to do the same quality of work and you meet your schedules, they're perfectly fine with it. But they themselves also are dealing with the same kinds of problems with work-life balance, with recruitment and retention. And so seeing, you know, and it's one thing to hear about like a hospital in Scandinavia doing it, right? I don't know about uh, about the situation here, but in the States, when you talk about companies in Sweden, you might as well be talking about the elves in Middle Earth, yeah. right? You know, or it's like this beautiful place that's completely alien and or yeah. kind of, you know, distant and unapproachable. On the other hand, when it's a company that's that you've been working with, whose culture you understand, who kind of understand how you work, you think if they can do it, maybe there are things here that I can learn mm. as well. Mm. So all of those things turn out to be positives. And then for, you know, uh, they all, uh, but companies also talk about um, becoming better or uh, better places to work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Recruitment goes way up, not surprisingly. Retention also goes up, even in industries where job hopping is the norm. Um, and of course, you know, people who are working there report being happier, they have better work-life balance, they have more time for exercise, for taking care of themselves and for others. And interestingly, when they measure this, they also have, they also report feeling like they have more time to get stuff done. Even when they've knocked a day off the work week, the fact that you are more focused, that, you know, Everyone is more attentive to how time is spent. Mm -hmm. They're more respectful of each other's time and need for attention. All of that sort of kind of opens up so much time in people's schedules and that um, you actually have the psychological sense that you have more time mm -hmm. to get stuff done rather than less. So, you know. And I will say there are a couple places that uh, that I know have tried this and it hasn't worked out for them. But for the overwhelming majority, if they plan the trials carefully, mm -hmm. you involve everyone, you have a kind of experimental mindset that, you know, uh, that says, you know, you're going to try a whole bunch of different things. Mm -hmm. Some of them are going to work. You adopt those. Some of them aren't. You get rid of them. And you kind of iterate and you figure out what works for you, what works for your group, for your company. Mm -hmm. Doing that lets companies figure out in generally a few weeks how it is that they're going to be able to make this work for themselves, for their work, for their mm -hmm. clients, mm -hmm. and then make it a permanent thing. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah, so, so shorter, the title of your book, and shorter as in a shorter working week, mm -hmm. that means completely shutting shop on Fridays right so yeah. Mo yeah most of the most of the companies I study um, work Monday through Thursday mm -hmm. there are of course some other variations some of them do six hour days rather than you know and they do that five days a week some of them close on Wednesdays mm -hmm. so but okay. you know most of them most of them are in industries where Friday is kind of a quieter day anyway, mm -hmm. so it's a sort of natural one to yeah. to, to yeah. cut from the calendar. And, and people are on the same salaries as full time. Salaries do not go okay. down, absolutely not. Yeah. Okay, so so Fridays here are mm -hmm. often you know dress down Friday or people work from home, mm -hmm. and uh, I've I 
my husband has started to take Fridays off, mm -hmm. except he doesn't. He works from home. So this is really, to be very clear, this is about actually not working on that Friday, right. doing other things. Yes, exactly. And for, there are some, there are a few companies, particularly software companies or sort of tech companies, that uh, for whom the Friday is more for kind of professional development than mm -hmm. just, you know, or going to the gym. But these are companies where, you know, in, in the software industry, there is a long tradition of people being self-trained, of, you know, there's a lot of tinkering with new programming languages or technologies mm -hmm. or stuff. And so people really like to do that. And there is a big difference between just playing around with stuff like in your garage versus sitting at your desk trying to, you know, knock one more thing off, you know, the, the off the off the software development to do list. Yeah. Psychologically, those things are th those things are those things are completely different. But, you know, that playing around in the garage does often help you develop skills, technical abilities that you later can, you know, put to put to use at work. However, you know, for most of these companies, the idea is that this extra day off is distinctly different from work, mm -hmm. right? So you're not expected to answer email, you know, you're not expected to be, you know, sort of present electronically or physically in the office. Even if you're doing stuff that is in this, that is kind of professionally, professionally related, um, you don't expect there to be a direct payoff and you get to choose what thing, you know, what kind of development that is, mm -hmm. what that looks like and how you go about pursuing it. It's entirely up to you. Mm -hmm. So that's what those days look like. Yeah, sounds great. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Seven Skills for the Future podcast. You can find all of our episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere where podcasts can be found. If you want to make sure that every new episode ends up on your phone, all you need to do is hit the subscribe button. And while you're there, why not give us a five-star review so more people can find out about the show? If you'd like to stay in touch or send in one of your questions for Emma Sue, then go to Unimenta on Twitter, Seven Skills for the Future on Instagram or at unimenta.com. We'd love to hear from you. And of course, there's the book, Seven Skills for the Future, available at booksellers everywhere.